Welcome everybody on shore. Thank you guys. We got two different platforms going on. If you're wondering why I'm sitting behind this big old mic, because we got the uh, doc radio going on at the same time. So thank thank God for our doc audio listeners that download the doc app or Android. I'm happy you are with us today. Welcome to Onshore. I am your host, Danya Kralock. Onshore is dedicated to fiction genres, including romance, mystery, thrillers, fantasy, chick lick, sci-fi, everything. This There's a sea of books out there, guys. There's a sea of books out there. And that phrase, 20,000 Leagues Under the, Under the Sea, that book is the truth. Onshore will help you navigate through all those books. Here on shore, we get up close and personal with the books and the literary elements. Today on shore, as you could probably see him, we have Edward Farmer. He is he has a debut book out called Pale. And let me tell you guys, Pale, the summer of 1966 burned hot across America, but not nowhere hotter than the cotton fields of Mississippi. Finding herself in a precarious position as a black woman living alone. Bernice accepts her brother's voice invitation to join him as a servant for a white family. You guys remember 1966. And she enters the web of hostility and deception that is the Kern Plantation household in 1966. But I want to go back and say Onshore is supported by the Doc's Bookshop, which is a family-owned and operated bookstore in Dallas-Fort Worth. I am, again, your co-owner uh, co of the Doc's Bookshop, and I am your host for today. The Doc's Bookshop seeks to inspire, inform, educate customers through books and book-related events in a relaxing and spacious environment. The Doc also sells greeting cards, personal care, home care, beverages, novelties, and all of the above. We have a huge virtual presence, so please log in. If you need products, personal care, home care, go to the docbookshop.com. Um, we haven't opened our space, but soon we will open our space for our audience, for our open mic, and all those different programs. And I want to thank all our listeners again on Doc Radio app. So let me tell you a little bit about Edward Farmer. He is from Memphis, Tennessee, where he journaled and cultivated stories his entire childhood. And I believe that because I read his book, and it is such poetic style, so much imagery, just a great, just a great read, a great use of literary elements. And he is a graduate of Amherst College with a degree in English and psychology. Okay, so you know what's going to go on in this book. <laughs> and recipient of the MacArthur Travel Award for Creative Writing. He currently lives and writes in Pasadena, California. So from Memphis to California, okay, that's a journey. Pale is his first novel. Welcome on shore. You know, you guys, you've probably seen a shadow. I don't know what that shadow is, probably the darkness, but, you know, I do believe myself as being fine, so I'm not trying to hide nothing, so I wish I could get more light, but it's okay. You guys know how I look. If you've been tuning in and you've been to the dog bookshop, y'all know how I look out there. <laughs> so, okay, Edward, welcome on shore. I am so happy to have you today. Go ahead. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, honestly. It's so great. Let me tell you, I before we jump into your work and, you know, your, your credentials and all that, I want to know how are you handling the pandemic how are you handling the stay-at-home orders the shelter yes yes you know it's been it's been a a, a change up to my routine because i'm so used to uh, as we all are uh just being able to be out to be present to be visible 
and especially with having a, a novel debut, uh, it's been very interesting to uh, meet with a lot of people virtually uh, as we're doing today rather than in person. But uh, I, I've tried to make the most of it. I've used this time to really do a lot of self-reflection and writing. And so I spend most of my time in isolation writing. Uh, <laughs> so it's actually worked out uh, in a good way. Uh, and it's also been a distraction from uh, some of the, the things going on. I sort of lock myself in my room and I write and it's a good uh, break away from everything that's going on. Now, do you find yourself looking at the news and find yourself, I got to write, I got to write some of the stuff. So now we're dealing with, you know, so much violence that has happened mm -hmm. to young black men across yes. the country. I don't know if you were wanting to speak on it, but I probably had to ask you to just say a little bit, you know, especially when you're writing, just some of the things that are going on in Georgia and Minnesota, yeah. soda mm -hmm. that reflects things that, pan, you know, social issues across the country. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel that it wakes up a part of you. I think um, I don't think you have to be African-American uh, for uh, the things that are going on to touch a part of you. And I think particularly as an African-American, it wakes up that, uh, that part of me uh, from my parents' stories, my grandparents' stories, and the things that I've experienced uh, growing up in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, when you hear the stories and you see, uh, you see what's going on, you can't help but to feel, uh, feel sadness. And with that, uh, luckily as a writer, I'm able to channel that, uh, that, that sadness and that anger I, can, uh, I feel into my writing. And so I feel that I have an outlet uh, to try to give a voice uh, to the voiceless uh, through my writing. So it's been difficult to watch, but it's also been, um, it's also spurred my uh, creativity because I've been doing more writing than ever. Uh, as I watch and I get anger and I'm <laughs> angered and I'm uh, saddened by the things that are going on. I know. I, it just so upsets me, especially that the recent incident with George Floyd It's like, yeah. wow. Um, but you know, and you want to go into a book to get distracted. It was one thing to have a distraction with the pandemic. Now it's another yes. thing to have a distraction dealing with social issues. And so, um, but you know, Shout out to his family that, you know, yes. that are dealing with that issue. And yes. especially me, we having a young a black son, young male that mm -hmm. I, that I'm raising. So again, you know, we continue to pray over the black men. So, yes. but, um, and you tell, let me tell you, your story is a tough one. <laughs> we went by, you know, tell us about Pale, a novel by Edward Farmer. And you guys, I want you to know, this is his, actually his debut novel. This is your debut yes. novel, and so this is really big. This is a really a great experience, and we're happy to have him on our show as a debut author, um, especially in our 12th year. We're celebrating 12 years as a bookstore, and if you know this business, this has been like a total labor of love. <laughs> so we love it, but uh, again, we're happy that you're you know ending the last week of activities for our anniversary on shore. But tell us a little bit more about your book. Yes, yes. So the idea for Pale actually came to me in a dream. Uh, I, was, I had a dream and it was so vivid, vivid. and it was a, a dream of a, of a black woman who worked for a white family and they treated her meanly. Mm -hmm. That's all I had. And so I woke up the next morning and I started to write. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I wrote was uh, the sentence he was supposed to send for me but never did. Mm -hmm. And so from that sentence, 
I started to ask questions because it was really intriguing to me. I said, who is supposed to send for you? Where are you? What's happening right now? Mm -hmm. And from there, the story evolved that uh, she was uh, a black woman whose husband left uh, to make a better life for them and was supposed to send for her, but never did. And so her brother. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to say, you know, when I was reading it, you went to go say you said one month. And then two months she yes. was there waiting. Then three months, you know, just the you went into the total emotions yes. of a woman just waiting, especially during that particular period when yes. women were still trying to gain uh, ground in terms of strength and opportunities. And yes. here she is. You open up with this woman that is longing and that is waiting, and that has worked and, and, and tilled the land yes. and gave up some of her, you know, her funds. To yes. help, you know, pave the way for a better life. You guys, I am not telling the story. The story is very <laughs> multifaceted. And it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot of layers to that. But I just want you to get a sense of his writing, especially from and from the narration of a woman. And we all understand as 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 women, what we may not know in terms of the sixties, um, of that long year of having a husband, having a re relationship, yes. and then not having that relationship come to pass. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. And I just, I just want to say uh, something about that is uh, when I was writing that character and writing that uh, that part where it's describing the months mm -hmm. and how she feels each month uh, as time goes by and her husband, she hasn't heard from her husband. There was a sense of, it's funny because it's easy to read that as, oh, this is a woman who is dependent on her husband. And um, it's the exact opposite. She has just as much strength, if not more. Uh, and you, you see that come out as the story progresses. So it's so funny that she starts off uh, in a position of longing for a husband and uh, having so much grief. But you see later that she has so much strength with that as well. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of strength for her to support everyone around her. Yeah, what makes you weak makes you stronger. Yes. And, and I just love how you develop the character of Bernice. And then you have intern Bernice's life, life, you know, is that the brother. And so tell us a little bit more about her brother Floyd, his character. So you tell us a little bit about Bernice. Yes. And now tell us a little bit more about Floyd. Yes, yes. So Floyd, um, Floyd was actually one, not my favorite character, but one of my favorite characters because he was so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And the thing that made him so interesting is that he was a person uh, who had worked for a white family his entire life and was content with it. And so when he sends for Bernice to, uh, to come live with them in Greenwood, Mississippi and work for the Kern uh, plantation, he sends for her uh, and telling her that this is a good place and that these are good people. Mm -hmm. And so he was very interesting to me to uh, to serve uh, a white family his entire life, know nothing else, but also be content in that work. Uh, and I think a lot of the story is looking at uh, it's a dichotomy between Floyd, who is so content in the work that he does and others who feel uh, although they're not slaves, they feel enslaved to the work that they do and to the work that they have to do because they can't do anything else. And I want to say it, 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 when you bring up that dichotomy also within that same context is Sylvia, Sylvia, who actually yes. works. And he said as much as he loved his family, but don't trust her. 
Yeah. <laughs> so now, yeah, now, now, why? What made you pick those that that scenario right there to say, "Hey, I, what was you trying to tell us to say? Hey, love this family, but you know this, you she can't be trusted." Yes, yes. I definitely wanted to. My my thinking there was to point out how even as an African American community, we can be pulled apart. And we can have, uh, there's so many nuances within the African-American struggle and the African-American community. And so here is an example of uh, a black woman, Silva, who works for the Kern Plantation and Floyd who works for the Kern Plantation. But within their, uh, within their relationship, there's distrust. And so uh, when uh, his sister arrives, he warns his sister, you don't, you, you don't trust her. Don't trust her. Uh, I wouldn't trust her around a deaf and a, and a mute. And so, <laughs> and so I just, I definitely wanted to show that uh, it's not just uh, tension between uh, blacks and whites in this story. There's internal tension between African-Americans as they try to make a life for themselves. Right. And this is you guys, we just did a, a, a brief introduction to some of the characters in his book, Pale, and you can see the cover of the book right in front of me. I want to talk about Greenwood, Mississippi. I want to talk about just Mississippi within itself. Uh, yes. Why? You know, there's plantations across. You got plantations, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, and um, of course Memphis. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Tell us, was did you have you had experience going to the plantations of Mississippi? Did you have family there, or did you just kind of do a lot of research of Mississippi? Tell us a little bit about Mississippi, and then go in and tell us um, just the plantation within Mississippi. Yes. Yes. So Greenwood has my heart. So I said uh, the story is set in Greenwood because my dad's family is actually from Greenwood and uh, my family is still in Greenwood. And so uh, I spent so many uh, every summer mm -hmm. uh, in Greenwood, every holiday in Greenwood. And um, I grew to love Greenwood. I love the drive from Memphis to Greenwood. And I would also hear stories that my uh, my family had to tell of working the cotton fields. So um, this isn't uh, completely uh, fiction <laughs> as far as the work in the fields. I was able to tap into my family's history with uh, working the cotton fields uh, and their stories. And so I knew when I started to write that I wanted to write a story about Mississippi. And I knew in particular I wanted to write a story about Greenwood. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad story. It's so funny. I, I speak, I've spoken to a lot of people from uh, from back home and uh, Mississippi. And uh, the thing that they said is that it's fair. It's a fair representation of of Mississippi. And it's not it's not all bad. And so uh, I felt really uh, happy with uh, their uh, their take on the story because it's uh, not all of Mississippi is bad. I think that there are elements of Mississippi that have to improve and have to change. And I think the book addresses that. But as far as the land and what Mississippi is, it's not all bad. And, and plantation life is not all bad. Um, it's just there are elements of it that have to be looked at and we have to discuss. Yeah, I think plantation life in general, when you're on the other end of plantation life, yes. when you own the land and yes. you work the land yes. and you toil the land, Yes. And I think that's the other part of plantation life. You know, if you take the plant, plantation out, you might have to just take the word plantation out of the whole concept. I hear you. Yep. But 
in terms of the book, I think you do a great job uh, of describing plantation living and then Greenwood on top of that. And you talk about cotton, King Cotton. Yes. Um, if you, at that particular time, cotton was very profitable for many plantation owners. And it was, but it was so devastating for, you know, people, the enslaved people, and then their descendants. But here yes. you have Floyd, who is running a plantation, and, you know, he's okay. He's good with it, where in 1966, a lot of people have moved on. Why do you think you did not let that character see what was really going on in the outside world? Because in, in 1966, people were protesting. People wanted better conditions. Why did you allow that character not to see the outside world? Yes, yes. So it's very interesting. I, I wanted to intentionally write a character who was focused on his family and his job. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when Bernice actually first comes to the plantation, one of the first things he tells her is, there's lots of talk from them out there, but I don't bring that foolishness in here. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting for me when, uh, when that part was written because that's exactly what Bernice was bringing. She was bringing her, her frustrations, her pain, her anguish in uh, having lost her husband. She was bringing all of that with her. And he immediately stands as the, uh, the sort of gatekeeper and says, do not bring that in this house. And so this was definitely a character who wanted to keep the outside world outside. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny, he's a character where, uh, even as I was writing him, I kept uh, having to ask myself, how much is he thinking of the outside? How much of the outside actually gets to him at night when he closes his eyes? Because he doesn't speak about it and he refuses to. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a there's actually a part in the book where he ventures into the outside and we actually see him outside of the plantation and we get a slight glimpse into his thoughts mm -hmm. uh, about the outside. But that's about it. And so I really wanted to write a character where you get some of his thoughts, but not all of them. And, it's, and you're left to sort of wonder what this character, how does he feel about what's going on around him? Yes, that whole humanity part. I was just like, oh, my God, he doesn't even know this world is going. Mm -hmm. None of them really know that this world is going on in this movie. Not even, yeah. I don't think, the, the plantation owners. And so let's jump into their story. You know, yes. share with some of the readers about the plantation owners and their character within this novel. Mm -hmm. So the plantation is owned by the Kern family, uh, which is made up of George Kern. And then the missus, uh, she's often referred to as the missus or Miss Lula uh, uh -huh. within the story. And she's his young wife. Um, uh, we never know how old she is, but we know that she's younger. Uh -huh. And um, they, they had a daughter and they lost their daughter. And so it's just the two of them uh, alone on this plantation with their, uh, with their workers. And there's a lot of anger and bitterness uh, within the Mrs. and Mr. of the house. And that anger and bitterness is then passed down to the servants. And they uh, they take it out on the servants because if if the Mr. is happy, the Mrs. is unhappy. And if the Mrs. is happy, the Mr. is unhappy. Mm -hmm. So there's never a time where everyone can be happy at the same time. Let me tell you, you there's so many twists and turns, you guys, in this book. You know, if you like Mississippi, the South, and I can't get enough of reading books from the South. It's just it's so many different stories, so many different backstories. It, it's just 
Southern reading is one that will truly have you thinking, and what if? If I was in that moment, how would I handle that? And I wanted, I say that because I want to bring up the stories of Jesse, uh, some more characters for you guys. You guys, he got some different characters. Not only <coughs> there's a great plot to this and just handling plantation life and, you know, and trying to evolve out of that, but there is some mystery out there with this. A lot of mystery, a lot of suspense within this writing. But tell us about Jesse, Jesse and Fletcher. Look, I, you guys, it, it's a lot going on, okay? <laughs> it is a lot going on. Don't think I am, you know, I am not by no means telling you the story. I could see this down the road as, you know, somebody taking a part of this and making a, a short film. And you guys can get on this early. He's a debut author, and he's an excellent writer, and he's going to be here for a very long time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, yes, with Jesse and Fletcher, with their uh, arrival to the plantation, so... Jesse and Fletcher are the sons of the house servant Silva, the one uh, who Floyd says is not to be trusted. So at the carbon harvest, uh, when Bernice arrives, also uh, the brothers arrive uh, for the cotton harvest. And these brothers are very interesting. They're very interesting because they're, they're also very different. Mm -hmm. They're very different. And, but they both have a beauty about them. They both have a beauty um, and innocence about them and they also have uh, sort of what I describe as um, that feeling that all youth have, that uh, the world is uh, stretched before them. Uh, all possibilities are available to them and all possibilities are available to them uh, unless someone takes it away. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the novel looks at this idea of uh, even in a young black man, even in young black boys, uh, the sense of possibility is there. and. It, it's only taken away when someone takes it away, it makes us believe that uh, we don't have that possibility, that we cannot do all things, or they really do take their hands and hold it against our necks and they take it away from us. And so uh, a, lo a lot of the story uh, evolves around um, the boys and uh, the sense of possibility that I wanted to describe in the story and how that possibility can be taken away. Okay, did I, okay, you still, <laughs> um, now, I, you know, I'm going to bring this up, but people, people probably are not going to like this, but it, it is what it is, um, and I'm not taking, I'm not, I'm not doing a spoiler, but somebody starts flirting with the young boys. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, that's, so, it's good, so, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> so, you, you got that flirting, and, and especially those that got young, young sons out there, I know. Mm -hmm. I, I want to say my friend Rhonda was tuning in, and she probably would be interested, find this part interesting as your your sons come of age, and people yes. start looking at them differently, and you have to deal with them looking at them differently. Mm -hmm. And let alone a Rhonda, you're not gonna like Rhonda Dawes. You may not like. I don't even know if you're still listening, <laughs> but it was the <laughs> mistress. I mean, the uh, the what you call that? The house mother, the plantation mother, the missus. As uh -huh. Mrs. Kern yes. started paying attention. How tell us how high level, uh, what that looks like when she starts paying attention to young Jesse. Yes, yes. So it was actually interesting to me as a writer because uh, I, I consider myself a discovery writer. So I don't know the entire plot as I start to write, and so. Um, there's a moment where Jesse uh, actually goes from the fields to uh, doing a, a small task inside the house. And there's a moment 
where um, the Mrs. and Jesse lock eyes. And for me, that was so fascinating. Um, and I wanted to think about what it must have, what it could be like to see someone who is actually uh, handsome or beautiful and it's completely inappropriate. Uh, but what happens in that moment and what happens if someone catches that moment? And so uh, that began that process of exploration of um, what it would be like uh, to have that moment of uh, inappropriateness and someone catch it and then follow that inappropriateness. So, and, and the entire time as I was writing, I was thinking about how dangerous this is, uh, how dangerous it yes, is. And then dangerous. with that danger, yes, <laughs> with that danger. In Mississippi, um, you guys, 1966. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and um, to have uh, a person like Bernice uh, to be in the middle of this, to catch it, and then to, to spend the rest of her time, time trying to stop it and trying to understand it. Um, was my goal. Mm -hmm. And Bernice, especially with, if she doesn't really have a really good relationship. I think their relationship kind of involved, but you know, Sylvia, mm -hmm. you know, she's always constantly saying there's this, there's what she was alluding to was there's a spirit, there's a spirit here. That's not right. You know, yes. and she felt that that was Bernice. And every time Miss Lula got, and she was always deflecting on Bernice. And it's ironically yes. that Bernice <laughs> is the one that's trying to rescue her her son, yes. you know, yes. from this, these issues. So mm -hmm. it's, this is, you guys, explore explore this. is just, it's totally fascinating. How does Mr. Kern, does he ever get involved? Does he, because he never really comes out of his parlor. It's like he's always running from something. Yes. Do you, is that what you mean to do to have Mr. Kern just kind of always running, you know, not being wanting to deal with everything? Yeah, I think I think with Mr. Kern, it was a it was a situation where I felt that this was a character who was so burdened, and um, I think I think Bernice describes it as uh, you can spend forever as a uh, I think as a wolf, but at some point you're going to be a sheep. It was something like that um, where she's describing how the sins of your youth will come back and haunt you uh, in older age. And it's something that I do believe. Uh, I've seen so many people who have lived uh, uh, wild, uh, wild youth, and then they get they become milder as they get older. And I think uh, lots of times they can be haunted by uh, some of the things that they've done in their past. And I and I felt that with this character, he was a person who um, had done things in his youth, and now he was so haunted. He spent so much time in his parlor allowing Floyd to run the plantation, um, uh, allowing uh, his wife to really just run the house and everything goes through his wife as far as the house. Uh, and he just spent so much time being haunted by his past, which I, I, it's like, for me, that's the ultimate. Uh, it, it, it's so sad to think that a person can go from being so strong and also probably most likely reckless uh, to being so uh, tamed and meek. Uh, in their older age. Now, are there any secrets you talk about his past? Are there any secrets from the book you can share with the readers? I, it's so funny. Mr. Kern has lots of secrets and it's, I it's know. funny because those secrets, um, they're only hinted at, uh, they're only hinted at in the book. I, I can't give away anything. Uh, I can't say anything without giving yeah. some things away. <laughs> I want to um, <laughs> instead of me. Yes. 
But um, it's so funny. I, I think that he's one of those characters, almost like Floyd, uh, where Floyd is a person who's worked for a white family his entire life. And you know, there's so much more uh, that haunts his brain at night. And what is he thinking when, he, when he's in the fields? And I feel like Mr. Kern is very, uh, very similar because he's a man who has owned land. So Floyd works the land, but Mr. Kern has owned the land. But he's also, um, he's the cause of a lot of what's going on in the house. Uh, things that he's done with his wife and others uh, that um, he has to live with this now. And so uh, I feel that a lot of his uh, sins are hinted at in the book. Exactly, exactly. So you guys, he just gave you a teaser. This book is so multifaceted and we're, I'm, I'm trying not to tell you everything, but if you want a great summer read, book club read, this is one another book that we're bringing to you on shore uh, for, you know, summer book clubs, reading groups, what have you. You, there's so much you can gather from this book and so many discussions that can take place. And I think it's a moment is how would I handle this? What would I do? It really puts, bring forward your own sanity, you know, and how you would handle things. Mm -hmm. and where would you be at that particular time in 1966? I am about to ask you to read something but the, from, um, from the book, but what do you want readers to take away from the book? I want readers to take away, uh, the first thing is a sense of place. Um, the book starts with the land and it ends with the land. Uh, this is all about people who work the land and people who own the land uh, and what the land represents. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the first thing is a sense of place uh, that I want to settle the reader in and give them a sense of what it's like to be on the land. Secondly, and the most important for me is, this is a story about a person's, a young African-American search for identity. And I tell people this, uh, this identity resonates so deeply within me because we all, black or white, anything, we, have, we, we learn who we are. As we're growing up, we're told who we are, who we're supposed to be. And then at some point we start to challenge those notions and we, uh, we either accept the things that we've been told or um, there's a lot of uh, ex self-exploration as we determine who we are and who we will be. And so this story deals with uh, that search for identity. And it's as I uh, wrote and followed that search for identity that so much of it resonated within me. And I'm hoping that it resonates with the reader. Okay, great. So you ready to read some of the book? I mean, you're yes. still trending here on our <laughs> Facebook Live, so. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. I just want to read a brief section of the book. Uh, with, and it has no spoilers. <laughs> but this section is where Bernice is actually on the porch with uh, the missus of the house. Yes. And um, they're having a brief conversation as the missus is reading uh, a newspaper. Right. So I'll just jump into it. And this is the missus speaking. Yes. Seems like every day there's something new, she said, with the newspaper opened. Her thoughts having careened like this for several days as we'd sat together on that porch. Don't make no sense. Wish they would just end it all and everything go back to normal. That's what I pray. She looked to me for confirmation that I felt the same. But the but Miss Lula had prayers much different than my own. Her prayers born of her circumstance and mine born from mine. As if there was a white God and a black God depending on the petitioner. And while I knew there was no need of beating your head on the same stubborn stone, unless you planned on learning something from it, and that I should just smile like usual, her words still brought nothing but pain to me. 
As those memories of Henry and our past came to mind as swiftly as his life had likely departed, that life he'd given to me in song and time and love, I said nothing to her. My anguish bursting from the seams and running down my sides, pressured like firemen's hoses within my pursed lips. I was lost here, forever confined in today and yesterday with no future. A clear view of the trails that bus left behind as my soul swept up in the smoke from its exhaust unseen in rearview mirrors, invisible to them like black faces on the pavement, like buoys lost at sea. I could no longer keep quiet. I knew very well that the Negro controlled almost nothing in this world, having that white hand strangled around our necks so tight with our sights and constant view of what little we had, our toil and our souls and our God. His land, a bounty stretched in front of me, belonging only to the white man, that surge of blood coursed through my brain and caused those few cars on the road before me to burn red hot beneath the sun as it cast mirages over the fields like a sea of watery graves out amongst the cotton and peat moss, graves that ran for miles in both directions and caused the soil to sway just like that vast ocean in mine. Those graves placed out there for the just folk, I knew, someplace my Henry most likely laid. For here, the Negro worked, his hands grown harder and his heart just the same, his hair not flowing and dainty but rough, his eyes a darkness that grew to handle the sun, and his feet a plagued callus he stood upon. Wow, you guys, that is that is a powerful piece. See, the imagery, the writing is such great writing. You have done a magnificent you. job when it comes to writing this book. Um, it's just, it's, it's a serious page turner and it paints the picture. You can feel yourself. You can feel, you know, when he talks about Mississippi, when he talks about how humid it was, how the humid creeps in the windows, it is so much imagery there. And I want to and ask you, what were some, especially from that part, that part, the piece you just read, what were some of the key challenges in writing this book? Mm. I think some of the uh, key challenges was I wanted to allow my mind to go there. I wanted to experience what it must have been like um, for someone in the 1960s to uh, work for uh, a white family and also to work for a white family where uh, the missus of the house does not understand your struggle and does not uh, necessarily sympathize with your struggle. And so large parts of uh, the writing was allowing my mind to go there and to imagine what it must have been like while also trying to tell an honest and true story. Um, and so uh, I didn't want to demonize anyone. I wanted to try to understand mm -hmm. what it must have been like for even the missus. A large part of this story is trying to understand how a person goes from, uh, from uh, innocence to, to hate. What can cause someone to have such vengeance in their heart and to understand that and not demonize them, but to look at uh, their motivations. So a large part of the novel is looking at motivations. What motivates uh, this person to hate and what motivates this person to love unconditionally? Mm -hmm. where, where did you get the title Pale from? How did you come yes. up with that title? So Pale was uh, a labor of love. <laughs> uh, my agent and publisher and I, we went uh, through uh, several different titles and I chose Pale 
uh, it came to me as I was thinking, I was constantly thinking of what could I title uh, this story uh, that en encompasses everything that it's about in one word, because I was really big on uh, having it be one word. And I chose pale because the idea of a pale color is, the definition is, it's a color that can take on other colors easily. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the idea is that so many characters in the novel are impacted by decisions or actions of those around them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there, there's an innocence about each character uh, when we look at each one at the, uh, at the bare minimum level, mm -hmm. uh, there's an innocence. And then there's a shading that happens by each action of uh, a person around them. And it can turn them into this darker color. Mm -hmm. And so um, I chose the, uh, the title Pale because I wanted to explore that with each character. Mm -hmm. um, even some of the characters who are considered flat characters, there is a shading that happens. There is, um, you'll see them in the beginning and by the end, they're slightly different and they're slightly, they're colored a little darker uh, by the actions of those around them. And so I chose pale because yes, it's a color that can easily take on other colors. So I wanted to see from the beginning to the end, the progression. I love how you put that pale. That's a, that's a great synopsis of the book. Um, you Thank have you. just really covered so much, so much ground. You, you know, Please, guys, go out and get this book. Even if you want to get the audio book, you can go to the docbookshop.com, get the yes. audio book. You can get the hardcover book, and you can get the ebook right on the docbookshop.com. We do have a special sale on Pale, so please get that book. Uh, I think the exploration of Mississippi, going into Mississippi, going into plantation life, mm -hmm. and taking on. And I heard you, and I don't, I can't remember quite how you put it, but. You know, you focus on a different type of motivation. We try to really yes. dive down into the life because we understand the harshness. But how did we get there? How did yeah. these, these characters come to be and still continue to keep the status quo going uh, probably up until their death? And to me, yeah. to me, especially looking at Lula, it kind of I think it kind of almost destroyed her health. Just trying to mm -hmm. keep that whole facade because. To yes. me, the whole, I guess the whole first part, she was just such an unhealthy character. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, so I, think, I think for me in writing her, I wanted to explore because I, uh, it's a personal belief of mine that uh, anger and hatred, um, it's a physical, it's, it's, it's not only mental, uh, it, it takes a, a, a physical toll on us. And I wanted to explore the mental deterioration of this character, but also how that can turn physical mm -hmm. and it could physically physically end up um, doing some harm to your body. Um, and even other characters in the book where we see physically how they, uh, how they change mm -hmm. and how um, it's not necessarily uh, the work that they've done. It's not the land that has uh, slowly robbed them of their health. It's the actions of others and it's their own actions that have caused such a turn in their uh, physical health. Wow, that's powerful. Um Ed, Ed Farmer, tell us anything we need. Let me tell you guys, he's an English, he's got his degree in English from Amherst College. He's a winner of the, tra what's the travel award? I can't think of the name of the award. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really does a great job in terms of, and it's kind of a mystery there to me too. So it's a great job, a great page turner. Get this book. If people want to reach out to you, just to comment and tell you how they felt yes. or ask you questions, 
ask you about Bernice, her character, ask you yes. about Floyd, Jesse Fletcher, the Kearns. Uh, um, did I miss any characters? Mrs. The Greenwood, Mississippi, just a whole backdrop. Um, yes. If you want to ask him about the plot and how it climaxed and why did he choose this climax, where can they reach out at to, uh, to you? Yes, yes, definitely. Please feel free. I encourage people to uh, connect with me on uh, Instagram at Edward A. Farmer, also on Facebook at Edward A. Farmer. Um, I love hearing um, uh, people's thoughts. I've already had people uh, to reach out to me and just chat about the book. And that's exciting for me because uh, I tell people as a writer, you spend so much time alone with the characters and with, this, uh, with your stories that when it, uh, it when it's released to the world, hey, you don't feel so crazy anymore because <laughs> I was walking around with all of these characters and things <laughs> in my head. And now if, you know, I don't feel as crazy because other people know that this story existed. And uh, when they reach out to me and connect, it's great. So yes, Instagram at Edward A. Farmer and also uh, on Facebook at Edward A. Farmer. I, you know, I'm just so, it's so fascinating to me. And I do want to take a tour, me personally, want to take a tour across the South because there are yes. so many stories. And, you know, especially with writing like yours and reading books like yours, you can feel, you know, the nature, the landscape, and all that just it's so for real for you. So to me, I would, I would almost like to, you know, do a book club or something down <laughs> in Mississippi. In yes. Hey, you got your family down there. Yeah. Let's see if we can. No, I'm just playing. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm sure. I'm sure the Southern um, organizations, because there's a lot of um, um, fine tune organization down there, the Southern Writers Group and all those different groups. Hopefully they will pick this up. Hopefully I can see yes. that being a, a, a reader group across. I can't think of it as some Mississippi belt. But I'm telling you, this is just, it's its awesome. I think it's awesome and it's just something I myself would like to do a retreat and have your book club part of that retreat if we ever get to travel. I have this, I have this fascination, this fascination with reading, you know, whether it's reading up and down Mississippi or the Red mm -hmm. River or I, some, yes. something like that always, the Santa Fe Trail, because those stories mm -hmm. that come out of there always tells about the environment and the descendants of those people within that area. So, again, you yes. guys, this is just totally fascinating. Please reach out to him. We are about to wrap it up. Go to docbookshop.com. You can get the audio book, the e-book, and the hardcover book. We will have that on sale. Hopefully, when this thing clears up, we can get him down here yes. in Texas. Yes. Um, I mean, for those who have a heart for, you know, literature out of the Mississippi, this is this is your author. He has a great page turner. Um, is there anything you want to share with some of the readers out there? Actually, I just want to say thank you. I just want to thank you for this uh, this platform. Um, anytime I can. Uh, speak directly to uh, readers and discuss uh, some of these issues uh, because the, as, as we've discussed just today, it goes, it's literature, but it, it, it reaches so, uh, it reaches beyond the page. It reaches into our everyday lives and it's, a, we're all affected by uh, things all around us right now. And so just to have a platform where I can um, discuss not only my work, but also uh, briefly uh, outside issues and just really have a platform to connect with people I'm just so appreciative and I'm appreciative for anyone who is considering reading the book uh, and considering um, sharing it with others. Uh, I'm just very appreciative.
And I want to thank you, you know, for being a part of our, as we end our anniversary. You know, the Dr. Yes. Shop tends to celebrate all month, especially this <laughs> month because it's, it's been so weird. And you have graduations going on. So we, you know, yeah. you just, and you have Mother's Day. And this is a time when we actually open the bookstore. So we tend to celebrate and do anniversary sales and do different things. And, you know, we yeah. wrap it up with authors. And we're just happy that you're with us this week as we wrap up our anniversary because we do it the whole month because so many distractions that we say, you know, this is part of anniversary. This is a part of anniversary. Yeah. And that's when we do our biggest fundraiser for, you know, as an independent bookstore. So um, I thank you so much for being a part of this week and, you know, being a part of our book promotion campaign. This was a great, I'm sorry, I'm so happy we reached out to you. I'm so yes. happy for your publishing company. Your publishing company, name your publishing, say your publishing company. Yes, Blackstone Publishing. And I also want to thank my literary agent, uh, Annie Bumpke. Uh, both have been uh, so great to me. And uh, they're part of the reason why I'm here. So I'm very, very happy. Annie Bunky, she is, I mean, just reading her, I didn't get a chance to meet her, but just reading her email, she is such a happy person. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, you know, well, whoever she has coming up, I would just love because just being in with the agent or something like that, that's excited about what you're doing, especially yes. when, you're, when everybody's at stay at home or shelter in place. And we're having to find, <clears throat> find ways to connect and, yes. you know, for her to respond as quick as she did, we're just so happy that she helped us make yes. that connection. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Thank you for, you know, being with us with Edward Farmer. Edward Farmer, we're going to say bye, and thank you for coming to Onshore today. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Okay, peace.